0: Morning. How are y'all doing? All right, good, okay. Fair enough. It's cold outside, isn't that great? Not so much, Yeah. Uh, Well, I got back from Africa a couple weeks ago and it's like 104, so this is awesome. Uh, Got some candles here. It's the second week of Advent, and uh, so we've been lighting candles each week, and so last week we've got the first lit, um, and we're gonna light the next one today. Um, I'm gonna read something to you guys. God comes to us through particular people, in particular places, and times in the past and here and now. Our second candle reminds us to look for the light of God and God's messengers today. Living Christ, give us faith to trust you and hope to follow you. We light this second candle in hope of the coming Jesus and those around us and ultimately in his coming again. There we go. Uh, So today you may notice there's a lot of younger faces in the room. And uh, the first Sunday of every month, we have this thing called All In, where we invite all the kids and the youth to come and join us, uh, which is an awesome thing because it allows us to join the rest of the church body here. Uh, You'll notice there's some red tables in the back. And so if you are a young child, uh, you can make your way back that way. And there's some crafts and some stuff back there you can hang out with. Uh, So little ones head that way. So I want to try something, uh, it's a call and response, something that I learned when I was in Africa. And uh, you may have done it before in another church, but I'm gonna say, God is good, and you're gonna say, all the time. Then I'm gonna say, all the time, and you're gonna say, God is, God is good. There you go, all right, try it. God is good. All the time. All the time. God is good. God is good. All the time. All the time. God is good. Amen. Uh, we're going to do it again later, so just uh, be ready for it. Uh, but it was cool. So, um, yeah, I was in Africa for about 10 days with a couple of people in this room with Be 2 live uh, I've got some pictures here that's going to kind of cycle through, uh, and it was, uh, it was hot, like I said, 104, uh, but it was an amazing time. We spent time at this place called City of Refuge. Uh, they're an organization that uh, rescues uh, boys and stuff out of slavery and human trafficking, and so uh, they invited us to join them, and they had their 10-year anniversary, so we got to spend a lot of time with them, and uh, we had five church services over three days, uh, average length three to four hours, so be ready. We're going, <laughs> Jogan, we're not going that long today, it's going to be short. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, it was an awesome time. I learned a lot while I was there, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that today, um, but I want to spend just a second, talking about what City of Refuge does. Um, there is a big lake about the size of Rhode Island in Ghana called Lake Volta. Uh, and what's happened there over a period of time is that boys have been trafficked from the coastal regions to the lake to enslaved on these uh, fishing boats. And so the, the boys there, they're beaten. They're forced to work long hours in the lake. They get skin conditions because they're spending time in the water. Um, they have to go and like, untangle the nets from the water and many of them get caught in those nets and end up drowning. Um, And so City of Refuge uh, has spent time going to those lakes, rescuing those boys, and partnering with organizations like International Justice Mission. Um, And that's uh, actually on the lake right there. And uh, so they've set up basically like an orphanage to take care of these uh, these boys. And I don't know what picture that was, but I guess it's good. Oh, yeah, (laughs) Hotel Obama. Um, So this is uh, part of our group. Uh, You'll recognize many of them. Uh, the two in the front with the matching clothes, uh, that's uh, the directors John Bull and Stacy. uh, they, uh Stacy's from South Dakota, John Bull's from Nigeria. Uh, they met in Ghana and uh, sometime later uh, they got married and now they have an orphanage in, uh, in uh, Shy Hills. And uh, they've done some really amazing and, and beautiful things. Um, and so we're gonna talk a little bit more about that today. But uh, we've been going through Philippians here, right? Uh, We've been doing it for, I don't know, three or four weeks, and we're about halfway through chapter one, so we're like cruising right along. And uh, if you've been tracking with us, I'm going to throw things off, and I'm going to jump forward to the end of chapter one. So if you're kind of OCD, like it might be rough for you, but that's okay. Um, So go ahead and turn with your Bibles to Philippians chapter one. If you don't have one, uh, if you look in front of you, there's some Bibles that you can turn to, or you can just look up on the screen, and uh, I've got it up here for you. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Now I think verse 27, the very first part, is probably the clearest instruction for how to live a Christian life. So if you've ever been wondering, like, what should I do as a Christian? How am I supposed to carry my life? Uh, 27 is pretty simple. It says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So let the manner of the way you carry yourself, the way you conduct yourself, the decisions you make, the way you flavor your language, the way you interact with others, conduct yourself in school or in business, uh, whatever you do in your everyday life, let that be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so that leads us to ask, so what does it mean to live a worthy life, and especially in light of the gospel of Christ? Now, to be worthy means to be a deserving effort, to be of great character, to great merit. And so we have to ask, what does that look like? Now, I love sports. I played sports all growing up from the age of like five when you first start. And I tried my hand at basketball and I averaged about two points a season. And so if you know anything about basketball, some of you do, uh, that's not so good. That's pretty rough. Um, I'm tall, but it doesn't correlate to basketball skills, but it was fun for a while. Uh, I tried my hand at football and when I was little, it was great because I was bigger than the other kids. Uh, I got to high school and I was a third string lineman, so that was great, Uh, but it was fun. Uh, Eventually, I found my way to soccer, and I played that for about 10 years, and that was awesome. Uh, But it took me a while to get used to running so much, and I was like, I don't know if I want to run that much. But you get used to it, and it's fun. Um, But I found out that pro sports, probably not in my future, and that's okay. Um, But I still love watching pro sports. So, uh, can you show this next picture? Maybe. Any guesses who that is? (laughs) Me. Uh, my mom helped me find that, she's actually here today. She traveled all the way from Texas to come see me. Yeah. Yay! <laughs> uh, but yeah, like, I'm awesome, right? I got glasses, missing teeth, <laughs> Cowboys jersey tucked in, the blue jean shorts. Like, you can't get better than that. Uh, and I've got a Christmas stocking, because Christmas is awesome. Uh, so, nobody can deny that like, my love for the Cowboys like, runs true, right? Uh, I've been waiting uh, for about 20 years for the next Super Bowl victory. Uh, Ninety-six was the last time, in case you've been counting. I haven't. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I've been saying forever, like, the Cowboys, they're going to win the Super Bowl. And, like, I've been living my life in such a way to know that, right? Like, every single year, through the ups, through the downs, through the last season's 4 and 12 season. You know, it happens. Uh, but guess what? 11-1. They're killing it this year. It's so awesome. <laughs> so this year, like, it's going to happen. I still hold true. Yeah! <laughs> It's going to happen. Cowboys are going to win the Super Bowl. Even when I moved to California, I was like, the Cowboys are my team. I'm in the heart of like Niner country and some some Raiders fans. And I like those teams too, but the Cowboys are my team. And I've always lived knowing the Cowboys are going to win the Super Bowl every single season. And I think for us, like if we're to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ, we have to live in such a way that we recognize the truth of the gospel itself. And we have to live knowing that through the ups and downs of life, whatever that may bring. And so what is the gospel of Christ? A lot of people go back and forth. What does that mean? What is the gospel? And for me, the gospel is the story of the redemption of mankind through the blood of Christ on the cross. And so this starts way back in Genesis when we look at the Garden of Eden and sin enters the world. And there became this need for mankind to be rescued. And that rescue was ultimately fulfilled in the person and the work of Christ. And that's the story Of the gospel and that's something that we need to fix our eyes on and to move towards. So as Christians we push forward with life and if we cease to act simply and react to the prevailing moods of society, whatever culture may dictate what we're supposed to do, um, then the gospel is no longer the center of our life. It no longer gives us our identity and culture then is what gives us that. So what do we do now? How do we live a life worthy of the gospel? I think Paul was like, I think people are going to ask me, what do I do? So he tells us, which is nice. He says, stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side. Now, when he says stand firm, the imagery he's trying to get across is one of a soldier standing at his post, ready to defend his country, his kingdom, whatever it may be, against any opponent that might come. And so that's the idea that he's trying to get across. But then in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side. So what what does that look like? Now, when I read this, I think back to my time in Ghana last week. Um, <clears throat> they had just built a church uh, at City of Refuge as part of one of their other things, and it was a pretty big building. And uh, they had their church services for four hours long, and that was awesome. Uh, and their church building looked a little bit different than ours. You know, you walk in, you've got a nice aisle, two big sections on the side, which is great, because I'm a sucker for symmetry, and so it was really nice and pretty. But in the middle of their room, they had this huge open floor, and it was a dance floor. So go ahead and show the next thing. That's awesome, right? (laughs) That's so cool. Like, we should do that, right? We were, uh, (laughs) yeah, clap. (laughs) Um, We were, they came up and they, uh, they started playing just like music, kind of like what we had this morning. And then they said, okay, now it's Africa time. And they said, clap for Jesus. And they started clapping and then they all started dancing. Uh, And it was awesome. And it didn't really matter what the song was. Like one morning they just started singing head, shoulders, knees, and toes. And then, I mean, it got crazy for the next like half hour. It was awesome. but the whole time, like, it's really weird, it's kind of strange, it's super hot. I mean, like, they're wearing, like, nice dress clothes and suits, and they're, like, I mean, drenched in sweat. Uh, it's nice to know that I wasn't the only one that thought it was hot. Uh, but it was a beautiful thing. Like, they were just simply worshiping for them, and that was dancing. And it lasted, uh, for one morning, two, two hours long, uh, just dancing in circles and singing songs. And then the, the message started, and that was another two hours. But that was cool. But for them, for those people uh, that were in that room, they understand what rescue means. I think for us, sometimes in a Western mindset or an American mindset, uh, we have a hard time understanding the idea of rescue. Uh, I know for me, when I, when I met Christ and became a Christian, uh, my life wasn't radically changed, right? Like uh, I still had food on the table, I still went to school, uh, I played sports, like nothing like, radically changed about my life. Uh, I read the Bible more, I, I prayed some more, but there wasn't this big change and the Bible paints all these pictures of rescue, being pulled out of the clay, being washed and made new, uh, doing away with the old life and starting anew. And it's hard for us to recognize that, but for a lot of these people in this room, they were literally rescued out of slavery, pulled out of the water, uh, given, washed, made new. Their old way of life was gone, and a new one was made available to them. And so for them, rescue means something. Rescue means freedom. And so when they're worshiping like that, when they're dancing in circles, like it's something that just birthed out of them. And like the joy that comes from knowing the risen God just oozes out of them. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to be a part of. And so I think for us, when we need, when we look at what Paul's saying about standing firm, being in one spirit, being in one mind, striving side by side, I think we can learn a lot from the Ghanaian people, uh, and specifically those people in that room because they know what life was like and they know what their new life beholds for them. And so for them, they're able to stand in one spirit, with one mind, and striving side by side. God is good. All the time. All the time. God is good. Amen. Uh, (laughs) Let's go to verse 28. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Now, when I first read this, I'm like, that's kind of weird. Like, even the sentence structure is a little strange on that, and, like, who's being destroyed, and, like, what does that mean? Salvation, this is from God, okay. What does that mean? Uh, I think he's saying, like, after we're able to stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side, we're not to be scared of our opponents. And so the first part of that makes sense, right? Don't be afraid. As long as you're with people, standing arm in arm, side by side, working together towards whatever comes, nothing can stop you. So who are the opponents that Paul's talking about? Who's gonna be standing against you? Uh, A lot of people have made a lot of good guesses, but the reality is nobody really knows in Philippians who they're talking about. Uh, It could be people like Paul's former self who were trying to eradicate and seek out Christians and kill them. Uh, It could be government officials trying to strong arm them, Christians. Uh, into behaving a certain way. Uh, It could just be regular people saying, hey, don't talk to me. I don't want to be around you, and just kind of like isolating Christians into a circle. Um, So it could be any number of those things, Um, but nobody really knows at the end of the day uh, who those opponents are. I believe that Paul's principle, though, still applies to us, even if we look at that. We don't know who the opponent is, that don't be afraid, That if we are living our life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, and that we are standing firm, living with one mind, with one spirit, striving side by side, we don't have to be afraid. And so our question is, who or what is your opponent? What stands against you? What challenges your faith? What keeps you up at night? When do you feel alone in the struggle? I ask myself this question a lot too. What is it that I'm afraid of? What keeps me up at night? Uh, And my answer pretty much always comes back to failure. Uh, Whatever it is that I'm doing, whether I'm playing sports, driving my truck, uh, teaching, being a youth pastor, preaching, uh, I want people to look at me and say, like, I think this guy is competent. Uh, And I have this apparent need to to feel the best at whatever it is that I'm doing. And that my identity gets caught up in this idea of, of trying to be the best, of trying to be something great. And my irrational thought is that if I'm not competent, that if I I don't measure up to what people's expectations are of me, if I don't demonstrate that I'm at least worthy of being considered something, then what am I? I'm afraid that I'll do something wrong, that I'll screw it up. But the reality is, that's not true. That's not how God has designed us. That's not how God has wired us. Paul didn't just leave the Philippians on their own. He's sitting in prison, and he's like, they need encouragement. They need to know how to live this Christian life thing. And he writes to them and he says, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Stand firm, be of one spirit, one mind, striving side by side. He's even telling them, you need to be together. You need to live in community. You need to not be alone in this fight. And so we're a people that we're belonging to God, that God loves us enough to rescue us by sending his son to die on the cross. And when we allow that to ruminate that idea inside of us, we can't hold it in and it begins to spill out. This love of God pours out to others and people begin to drink that in. And then that p- spills out of that person and that person has people around them. And they begin to drink that in, this love of Christ that can't be contained within us. And it's the same love that causes people like John Bull and Stacy to start an orphanage in Ghana against impossible odds to rescue boys out of slavery and against a government that's allowing that to happen. And that's a big step of faith for them to do that. But it's the same love that you guys sometimes will invite people into your homes for a meal. That's the same type of love I'm talking about. The same type of love that you'll say, hey, my neighbor's moving, let me go over and help them move something to a new house. The same type of love that leads people to foster or adopt a child. There's a lot of things that that love can look like. Sometimes it it means sitting with a friend and you don't really understand what they're going through, but you're saying, you know what, I'm here. The truth is, whatever it is you're going through, Paul was reminding us that you're not in it alone. We're supposed to stand firm with one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side. And that's what God intended for, intended for us to do. God is good. All the, time. All the time. God is good. God is good. All the time. All the time. Amen. So what about that second part of verse 28? This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. So what does that mean? What does it mean they're, they're getting destroyed and of your salvation and that being from God? Uh, I think what Paul's getting at is that when the gospel's lived out in an appropriate way, meaning that the, the message that it proclaims is being actively lived out, then salvation from that destruction, it offers. The Philippians' behavior of one living in a life, a manner worthy of the gospel, the Philippians' behavior is evidence to those around them that the gospel is true. Now, earlier in this chapter, Paul made a statement, which is one of my favorite statements in, that Paul ever makes. He says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Now, he's sitting in prison, and I don't know like, what the conditions of that prison were, but like, prison is prison. like It's not a like, great place to be. And he's saying to live is Christ and to die is gain. And i can imagine those guards like oh let's let's torture him he's like all right cool to live is christ like i'm gonna stay alive sweet and like, okay well we'll kill him he's like to die is game and like what like what do you do with that you know like that's a tough spot for the prison guards to be in but for for paul like his paradigm of how he viewed the world was entirely different he's saying every waking moment that i have no matter how good or how bad it is every waking moment that i have is going to testify to the goodness of god and if he dies when his life ceases to exist when he's dead He has everything to gain. And Paul wants us to live our lives in such a way. And he's saying that no matter these things that that hold us back, these fears, these uncertainties, these doubts, no matter what those might be, that when your paradigm is such that you're living in light of the truth of the gospel of Christ, those things don't hold power over anymore. And those are the things that become destroyed. Because at the end of the day, Jesus is better and he sets you free. One day in Ghana after lunch, uh, the head of the school walked up to me. And she's like, can you use a hammer? I was, like, I was a little apprehensive because I'm, like, I'm not really sure what I'm about to volunteer for. Uh, and it's 104 outside, so I'm like, I don't want to work outside on a roof. But like, all right, we'll see what happens. And so I set expectations pretty low and said, I've used one before. And she goes, good, you're tall. I was like, what? Like, What does that even mean? Because apparently being tall and being able to swing a hammer is a good thing. And uh, so, like, all right. <laughs> so they had a production of Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Ah. Uh, It was a sight to behold. And a group right before us came in and they like painted all these like backdrops. And so they were trying to set it up so they could do dress rehearsals. And so they had this thing that stretched like the entire length of the stage from one side to the other. And they're like, hey, can you just come help and like set it up? I'm like, sure. And so uh, I go over there and this ended up being like one of my favorite times of the whole week because I got to meet this guy named Matthew. Uh, Now Matthew works for the school. He's kind of like their uh, operations guy. He does some other stuff too. And he was just a super cool guy. Like, just the way he talked, he was like, told me about his whole life. Um, Even like, he was like Skyping with his girlfriend one day and he's like, hey, come come meet her. I'm like, I just met you, but sure. And so we're building this stage for the next like three or four hours. And so we're like hammering and driving nails and all sorts of stuff. And at one point, uh, we go leave to go find some scrap wood to like piece together some other stuff. And we came back, There's a nail like sticking up through one of the pieces we had, like straight up into the floor. Which wouldn't have been a big deal, except there's like 40 or 50 kids running around like with no shoes or sandals. And uh, the first thing that came to his mind was, God is good, when he saw the nail. And I was like, that's like the 10th or 11th thing that came to my mind, but cool. Uh, <laughs> but for him, like, he saw that God was still moving and God was still active, even when we didn't realize it, even when we didn't know it, even when we didn't petition God saying, God, can you protect us during this moment? For him, God was moving all the time. And he recognizes the goodness of God in every situation. And that was an amazing thing because things like that kept happening all the time. Not like the nail, but just uh, conversations that I had with Matthew and other people. Like God was a part of every conversation that was there. And it was a really incredible thing. And so like Matthew, I see was like Paul in that God moves even when we don't. Even when we don't recognize the movement of God, God is still living, God is still moving, God is still active. And that was such a part of the fabric of the Ghanaian people. And it was a really a beautiful thing and something that I think Paul is getting at too. God is good? All the time. All the time? God is good. Amen. Uh, let's look at the last part, verse 29 and 30. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, But also suffer for his sake, engage in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So Paul's telling the Philippians, because of the gospel, because of Christ, because of this life that you're living as a Christian, you're going to suffer as I did. So Paul's sitting in prison, he's telling them, likely you're going to suffer in prison like me. And because of their believing, they are the embodiment of the gospel. Now it's important for us to know that Paul is talking specifically to the Philippians here. Uh, And so what I begin to ask is like, okay, so if the Philippians should expect to suffer as Paul did, should I expect the same thing? Should I expect to go sit in a prison because of my faith? Um, Should I experience suffering simply because of my faith? Uh, The short answer is the fact that you're a human means that you're going to experience suffering. Uh, I heard a lot this past week that people are messy. Uh, and Because of this thing called sin, uh, life is hard sometimes, regardless of your faith or your belief. Um, but as Christians, do we experience something special that the rest of the world doesn't? The demands of a Christian life means that you're going to have to act in a certain way, that you're going to have to behave in a certain way. And so the claim, those who claim to be Christians, those who claim Christ, they can't refuse this. So belief in the gospel demands our action. And so again, will you sit in prison one day for your faith? Maybe, I don't know. Uh, There are people that do today and we're fortunate enough to live in a country like where we had the freedom to practice our faith in such a way we can come in on a Sunday morning and sit here uh, and worship and that's a beautiful thing. And I'm so glad that we could be a part of that. Um, But suffering just because you're not in a prison cell doesn't make it any less hard. Suffering sometimes means you're going to lose friendships. So sometimes people don't understand quite what you're doing, and they're like, I don't want any part of that. Uh, Suffering sometimes means you give up a lifestyle, that you're living a certain way, and then God says, you know what, you can't live that way anymore because I have something better for you, and you leave that lifestyle. Uh, Sometimes it means losing money. Uh, You may have a certain type of life that has lots of money, and God says, you know what, something's going to be different now. Uh, And that's not always going to be the case. But again, belief in the gospel demands our action. That's going to look different for everybody. I think John Bull and Stacy, the directors of the orphanage, they live in such a way that I would say they're suffering. Now, they're joyful. They love what they do, and they wouldn't trade it for anything. Uh, But they're going against impossible odds. They've got kids all over the place that are coming from the most awful of places and trying to show them an environment where they're loved and cared for. Uh, they're going against, again, a government who allows things like this to happen to boys. Uh, and so they're, they're suffering, just in a very different way. And I think suffering looks different for everybody. But I think the important thing that Paul wants us to know is that no matter what it is, no matter what obstacles stand before you, no matter who your opponents are, no matter what scares you, that we're not alone in it. That we're to stand firm with one mind, with one spirit, striving side by side together in this thing called life. And the big thing I think Paul is getting at is it's about unity. That as a church, as the people of God, as ones who belong to the risen Christ, that we're not in this thing alone. And that we're again to stand firm alongside one another. God is good. All the time. All the time. Is good. Amen. Uh, In a moment, we're going to move into a time of communion where we're going to get to remember about the risen Christ. Uh, I'm going to read a verse out of Luke 19. And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. <laughs> and so we have bread and we have uh, juice here. And this is a symbol of what, what Christ has done. Uh, and I think it's a beautiful thing where we can come down this aisle and t- partake in that. And I think it's a reminder for us, again, as we do it together, that we're standing firm with one spirit, with one mind, striving together, literally side by side in this thing called life. Uh, so would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you, Uh, God, we thank you that we are able to be here today and to worship you, uh, to sit before your presence, God, and to, to revel in all that you've done for us, the things that we know and the things that we don't. God, I pray that we might be a people that are able to stand firm, God, that when life gets hard and life gets tough, and when life is good. God, that together we might be a community of people that stands firm together with one spirit, with one mind, striving together side by side. God, we pray this in your son's holy name. Amen. As you go today, uh, may you stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side, together for the sake of the gospel. May you go in peace. Amen.